Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. As usual, I'm always excited for every guest, but this one, this one's special because he's a big shooter in the volleyball media world, and I can't wait to get to it. So I had the pleasure of working with this athlete when he played at Upper Canada College and Interclub. He went on to Western University, where he earned an awesome education, which helped him found 5-1 Volleyball in 2017. And he's currently keeping up with 5-1 Volleyball, but also a digital content coordinator with CEV. For our listeners who don't know what the CEV is, it's basically the continental zone for all of Europe. So he's following indoor volleyball beach volleyball i'm sure he follows sitting he's doing it all for the cv and he's keeping us up to date with 5-1 as well please welcome to the show dan manili dan thanks for doing this man no problem josh glad to be on i'm definitely a big fan of this show as well and, and to be finally on here you always do a good job of, of listing the accomplishments i'm probably the worst volleyball player you've had on the show but i'm uh, very excited to talk about my experiences hopefully people can learn a thing or two uh, for my path here. <laughs> well, well, thanks for starting with that. But uh, yeah, I, I, Eric Simon talked me into being a guest on the show. So I think I'm the worst volleyball player because I've seen you play live and you could get after it. And I, I'm wondering, was UCC kind of the start for you? Because you were kind of right in that peak time where you would have maybe got to watch like Will Sidgwick and Colin Kenny and like uh, Coach Murphy and Derek Poon there one offsa when you were, I think maybe nine grade nine or 10, like you would have seen like high level volleyball. Is that what got you hooked or just because anyone who's ever yeah. seen you play, like you're a good jumper, you could hit the ball hard. Like what was the fun part about volleyball to get you hooked? Yeah, I would say around that time, just being exposed to like those guys who are, who are incredible players, especially for that time when, when you, there wasn't really a lot of great volleyball to be exposed to. Um, just the energy, the fun, I had so much fun with it, playing with those guys and you know, the winning off. So even though I wasn't on the team, I was there. So just feeling the energy of high level sports and then, you know, continue to play, continue to love the game. And even if I didn't play, uh, play in youth sports or play anything like that, you know, still tried to play two or three times a week and just really developed the huge appreciation for the sport that's brought me so much. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause you, UCC, we, we were we were good. I mean, Sidrick won off, so good for him. But you would have had like a lot of quarterfinals when you were like an upperclassman and then obviously playing club, but, um, obviously like post-secondary maybe wasn't going to be an option and you went more of an academic route to go to Western and get your education. But were, were you disappointed you didn't get a chance to play at the post-secondary level or you kind of knew that you wanted to go like school first and then like you said, still play two or three times a week if you could? Well, definitely at the time I was focused, you know, when I graduated, you know, I realistically wasn't going to play, even though I did make it seem not going to start or anything. But now kind of looking back on it and, <laughs> and where, uh, where where I've gone with the sport is like, hmm. Maybe should have prioritized the volleyball a bit more, but for 99% of people in my situation, it's it's definitely the better call to uh, to focus on the academics. <laughs> nice, nice. And I noticed 5-1 officially started when you were done university, but I'm wondering, did you start getting the itch at Western where 
you love volleyball, you're hanging around volleyball guys, like you're playing extramurals, intramurals, all that good stuff, but you just couldn't find what was happening in the world. Like, did you see a problem and kind of just get curious and start to find a solution or, or where did this itch really become? Cause like five, one is doing an amazing job, but I'm curious, like, did you have like a, almost like a, a bitter feeling as a fan where you're like, why isn't anyone doing this? And then, you know, with your, you know, big brain, you just thought, Hey, I can solve this for everybody. I mean, you, you basically nailed it there, Josh. I mean, what I started I, I, around the 2016 Olympics when Canada had that, uh, you know, that great tournament. I was like, wow, more so than I thought watching uh, pro volleyball, watching this high level volleyball is insanely fun. And I love the sport. And then uh, trying to get more into it, I, I quickly realized, wow, there's there's almost nothing out there for, for a fan like me, especially from North America, to get to get involved, to get acquainted with the players, to learn about the tournaments, learn how to watch the games, which is often uh, one of the biggest issues for, for people. Um, so that's when I was like, yeah, okay. I have this opportunity to try this. Why not? You know, I have very little media experience in this, but with the internet, the way it is these days, you can kind of learn as you go. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think there was definitely a niche for that. And, and people wanted that, especially Canadian and American fans who, who for a fan starting out, the world of volleyball is pretty impenetrable. So, you know, I think I've started to provide a bit of that. And I think there's other people, uh, starting to provide that as well for the fans. Nice. And, and if you had to pinpoint when you first started 5-1, where did it really start for you? Because I think uh, th- there's tears to this almost, right? Like when I see like athletes posting a lot, well, obviously they can like interview their buddies and they have access. Like Dallas Sunius used to run a podcast and it was awesome. And I think he just called up his other pro buddies and he would have great guests. But for, for me, I kind of feel like I'm in that middle ground where I worked at the OVA, I worked for Volleyball Canada. So I kind of have access, but not a lot. And then there's you who's just like super passionate. But up until that point, I don't know if you had like an email or a phone number for somebody to call up, right? So maybe what was your starting point? Was it really just focusing on like watching matches and almost being like Sportsnet or TSN, like doing like a review? Or did you feel like you wanted to interview players? Like it's it's a pretty hard place to start, right? And I'm wondering where you actually started with 5-1. Yeah, so I mean, essentially nothing, Josh. Like I had zero access to players, like didn't didn't really know any any pro players, even any really high-level Canadian players that well. So really, I, and I still kind of approach it like this. I really had to approach it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the person who watches the most volleyball out of like anyone. I'm gonna watch every match. I'm gonna learn all the players. I'm gonna do deep dives into the stats. I'm just gonna follow it more than you know, <laughs> more than more, most people would be willing to do, and kind of you know share that information with everyone. And I think that was the correct way to start it out because you know I could rely on myself, I guess, more so than having to you know rely rely on guests. And, and a lot of the podcasts, even to this day, that I still do are, are a lot of it is just solo me talking about the games. Um, and I would say that that came a lot from the influence. I, I was a huge NBA fan, so guys like Bill Simmons, guys like Zach Lowe, who, in my opinion, you know, could talk about sports in an entertaining and informative way and have good analysis, even though they weren't. Uh, they weren't players themselves. So that's kind of uh, where the inspiration for that approach came from. Awesome, man. Awesome. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I don't have an intern. I didn't do very good research. But uh, did you feel like you started off as a website? Did you feel like YouTube was really your your platform to start with? Because one thing I was amazed about 5.1 is like like for passing times, like majority are Canadian fans, North American fans. Like we're starting to branch out a little bit. And thank you for all the listeners who are sharing because that really helps. But for you, like it's nothing for a super fan from France or Poland to comment on your stuff, right? So you really are like attracting a global audience because of your content. So uh, how did you get it started? And then were you surprised that like you had this international flair right from the start? Well, I think there's people e- even in other, maybe maybe less so with certain markets like Poland, 
and Brazil and, you know, a couple other, it's, Italy has a really developed volleyball media market, but, you know, for the most part, even in countries across the world, there's also no volleyball analysis in their language. So I think, uh, especially, I think uh, having the podcast in English really helps uh, because so many people around the world uh, speak English, but yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been, it's one of my favorite parts of 5-1 volleyball, uh, being able to talk to someone from Poland one day, someone from Brazil, Italy, France, Germany, Bulgaria, Japan, China, every single place in the world almost. I think I think I've had conversations with fans. So I think from the start it's always been more of a global thing than a Canadian thing, I would say. And maybe that's almost it was almost an advantage not being, I would say, involved in Canadian volleyball before before I became involved with five one because I didn't uh, I didn't, I guess, have that focus for the podcast. It really was kind of focused on the international program right from the get go. Now, have any of these fans ever really come at you? Because I'm thinking, like, you could argue the NFL, it, it's it's a thousand percent a sport, but it's probably, you could argue it's a media company. And the reason I say that is if you follow their stuff, you follow their video, you go on YouTube, like, they're pumping it out. They're telling you who the good players are. They're giving you stats. Like, they're giving the behind-the-scenes stuff. So you almost like to follow along and stuff where you, you're starting this from scratch. So was there ever, like, a top ten list or the best left sides you made? And somebody was just like, you do not know what you're talking about because you just listed so-and-so and they are not good because there was no platform to really confirm right where like an nba fan like there's so many that everybody kind of agrees who like the top 20 guys are right maybe maybe more or less but for you like did you ever go out on a limb and say i really like this guy and the fans kind of snap back and be like no no chance on this guy (laughs) no that's a really good question um because yeah no for sure i I ran into that exact issue i'm like okay well (laughs) but it, it was almost a thing of uh, you don't know what you don't know, right? So um, <laughs> I would talk about the games at first and, and the players. Uh, and actually, people were, were quite nice about it. I don't think, even at the beginning, I, I, you know, I tried to really do, do my research as much as I could, even with the limited resources that were available. So, um, yeah, no, no, I, I would say it hasn't really been a huge issue. Of course, you know, I, I, if I put a top 10 list on YouTube and, and Maroof's like number six, like where he should be, of course, you're going to get 100 Iranian fans commenting he should be number one. Same thing for Bruno. <laughs> if anything, Josh, I would say uh, as, as the platform has grown, I probably have more people disagree with me now than, than I used to have disagreed with me, which is, is kind of funny. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I think you're the one providing the content where like I think other sports do such a good job that like it – it pre-COVID, if I'm out with my friends at dinner, we could have an argument about like even like niche arguments in the NHL and be like, Patrick Kane is the best U.S. born <laughs> hockey player of all time. And then this guy's pulling up this stats and this guy's pulling up arguments where maybe in volleyball, when you started, like maybe you were the source of information. So everybody maybe used you as the pillar of the argument being like, whoa, 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 5-1 listed Maroof is six. So therefore, like he's six guys. <laughs> like, did you ever have anybody reach out and be like, I appreciate your list because you're helping educate me. Like, do you think you were viewed as like an expert right away? Because one, you were one of the only people doing it, but you were, you were the best. Cause like you said, you're watching the most, you're studying the most. Like, do, do you feel like you gave people confirmation about like what you were saying to then follow and become a fan of that player? Uh, I think so a little bit. I know. I mean, maybe not, I think, but if I look at even the top 10 lists I've done a few years ago and then compare it to what other people have done, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not that uh, dissimilar. Um, Probably was viewed, I would say, more of an expert at the start, probably than I than I deserved. Um, I would say now, for sure, I have have all the uh, I guess uh, credentials probably to to make a pretty uh, pretty credible argument to a top ten list or whatever. But I mean, what you said at the beginning about you know player people arguing around uh, the bar or the dinner table or whatever. I think that's one thing like that really uh, 
brings people into a sport, being able to talk about it with their friends, having these like silly arguments. And that's why I don't think I, you know, take the analysis, um, top 10 kind of stuff too, too seriously, because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's sports is subjective. It, it's just fun to talk about. Um, and I think that's a very different perspective than, than maybe some of the other guests you've had where it's all, you know, about doing peak performance and analyzing the, the little details and uh, really making sure you get the best. For me, it, it's more about entertainment and just, you know, getting people into the sport in a more casual way with that they can talk uh, with their friends about. This is awesome. If we can ever figure out the time zone again, we have to get you on with uh, Garrett May and we'll do some sharp cuts and we'll actually, we'll argue with you and see if you can fold that guy up. So we'll have to get to that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sounds like a tough tough to, uh, thing to do based on some of the previous uh, podcasts. He definitely doesn't have your background of information, but he's he's prides himself on being really good at arguing and he'll, he'll light you up. So we'll see where this goes. But uh, back to you for now. When you think back where you started, I think Canadian fans just following the best players in the best leagues. And like, like you said, you watch international and you start to pay attention. So maybe there there's a stereotype and, and I'm asking you to kind of be the expert here. Like usually Italy gets a lot of credit for their pro league. Russia gets a lot of credit. Like, do you feel like you started with the leagues that maybe you had an impression that you thought they were good? Or were you trying to watch everybody? And then you would be like, Oh, like this Turkey league, like they got some good players too. And, and you kind of go down the list. Like when you say you were watching as much as you could, was there a certain league you got attracted to? Or you were honestly like, oh, there's a there's a game on from the France League. I'm going to watch that. Now Turkey, now Poland, now Russia, now Italy. Like, where did you find that most of your energy and attention went to in the beginning? I mean, Josh, for sure, it was, I would say, Italy um, is, is for me the number one league to watch if you're, if you're, you know, a casual fan or you don't have as much time to watch or you're not following a particular team. Because Italy, I mean, just at the start, it has the most talented players, in my opinion. It has a lot of the best players. You know, you have your... Wilfredo Leons, you have your Alexander Tenasevich, your Osmani Wantarenas, your Gianellis, plus you have the uh, more generous foreigner limit, which for me, I think, was was the biggest thing because um, I think the, the extra foreigner limit really uh, inc- uh, promotes the diversity of the league and makes it more interesting to follow because you have, you know, those four slots that could be filled by Canadians, they could be filled by Americans, you could be filled by guys from Belgium, they could be f- filled with guys from Finland. So you kind of have a more diverse league and you can kind of go back to those guys on their national teams and kind of link the two, the two worlds of volleyball together that way. So I would say Italy. And, and especially, I think when I started watching, that was uh, one of the only leagues that you could even, uh, even get a subscription service for that. And then Poland were the, really the only two leagues streaming. And it's, it's already now it's improved so much with, uh, with uh, Russia putting a lot of their games out there with Turkey being a lot easier to access but I still think that's 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 one of the biggest issues for that I get. And the most common question I get is, okay, where can I watch games? Which was also difficult for me to figure out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, just for our listener, I want to make sure they get this because we've had a lot of players, and I always ask about the foreign world. But you're the you're the credible source to tell us about like what eight leagues probably do right now. So I'll take the easy one. I think a lot of Canadians when they're starting out, the the German league is very attractive. I think Germany is kind of like a a Western style living where, you know, the food's good. Like a lot of people speak English, like you're pretty comfortable there and the league. My understanding is they don't really have a foreigner rule where there's usually a couple Canadians and a couple Americans. So they can kind of feel like home right off the bat. So if Germany's 
maybe on the light side of the foreigner rule kind of just take us through the spectrum of like who's who's the tightest and then like you said who has the most like high level and balance like you just said because i think there's leagues and i'm i'm honestly asking you that only allow like one or two foreigners and that that's the limit right so kind of just take us through maybe with most of our listeners being north american fans just the balance of those different leagues and how many like canadians they can expect on on a certain club team in a league yeah, so for sure. I mean, a lot of Canadians, like you said, end up in Germany and also France, which also has really no foreigner limit. And France also with a very strong pro B leagues. But you see a lot of guys, except for maybe the top national team guys, almost certainly are probably going to end up in one of those two leagues, which, which I've watched quite a bit of it as well and follow them. The level isn't quite as high as maybe in Italy or Poland, but still, still very entertaining watch. And then you have probably Italy and Turkey, I would say, are the, the next most permissive leagues. Uh, Italy's definitely four uh, foreigners. Turkey, I believe, is three or four. Um, but you also see, you know, a lot of Americans, Canadians end up in those leagues as well. Obviously, a bunch of our guys, Turkey, Latvia, and Poland, foreigners allowed. And the most limiting European pro league is Russia with only two. And obviously, you have to deal with the difficulties of living in Russia on top of that. So maybe you definitely don't see quite as many North Americans there. Maybe, I mean, we had Gord Perrin there last year and, and Micah Christensen moving there uh, for the next season, but still, still a bit limited. And then on the extreme, extreme end of things, you have uh, the Korean and Japanese leagues, which only allow one foreigner uh, to play in their league. So that, that can be uh, quite difficult, quite difficult for guys to, to get there as well. Yeah, that reminds me when we had Gavin Smith on the show and he's explaining how he could almost guarantee he was going to get 50 attempts or more a game. And that makes sense that if he's the only foreigner, he's he's the breadwinner. He's going to have to be the one to bring it home for them, right? <laughs> yeah, but I would say the Italian league is probably the best balance of, uh, you know, still allowing the Italian guys to play, but also, you know, having having multiple foreigners be allowed on the court at the same time. And then, of course, you have a Champions League as well, which has no foreigner limits. So. Wow. So how how do teams balance that? Like you said, Russia is really tough and only has like the two foreigner limit. Do they have to use the same roster or could they like pick up a ringer who's technically their third foreigner who's then eligible to play in Champions League? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it a couple of times. We had that situation this year with uh, Dynamo Moscow, who won both the Russian League and and the CV Cup, who brought in Lowry Kerman and the Finnish Libero, who count to uh, they also already had two uh, two foreigners. Sokolov and Sam Daru. So that was kind of an interesting uh, example of that. I think the uh, Graham Vigras was in that situation one year with in Turkey with Fenerbahce, maybe where, where he's brought in kind of as a, just a, uh, a champions league threat, but usually it's uncommon. I would say uh, for the most part, teams try and try and stick to the foreigner limit. But I, I will say in the leagues that have a more strict limit towards the bottom of, of the standings, you get some, some substantially weaker teams than maybe in Italy, where even at the bottom, because of those foreigners, the level of play is still quite good. Now, in your opinion, covering this, because uh, again, hopefully listeners of the show are, are sports fans of other leagues. And I think the, the foreigner rule reminds me of soccer where you have a country like Germany who took a lot of pride in, in rebuilding like the Bundesliga. This was like a couple world cup cycles ago that like they didn't feel like their pro league was 
supporting their national team. So they made really harsh rules and you had to have a certain amount of German athletes like on your roster. And certainly the, the B division turned into almost all Germans and that helped their national team. So I'm curious when you talk about this foreigner rule, when you let like the Italians play, is that kind of the goal where we want to attract like the best foreigner players we can, but let's keep a cap on it so we don't lose like our national team presence or maybe the the local club fans like to cheer for a guy who grew up in that region. Like, is that maybe the purpose of the rule is let's get to the best we can without overdoing it? Because I'm sure there's some owners out there who probably would just want the best six players they can get and money's not an issue where there's other clubs who want that hometown feel and there's like a legacy or pride of, of who the fan club is, right? Yeah, I mean, per- personally, Josh, I mean, I'm biased, but I think the uh, the foreigner limits for me is not is uh, the goal is to get the national team to a higher level. In my opinion, I don't think uh, I don't think it really does it that much for me. If an Italian player or, or a Russian player or a Polish player is, is going to be good enough to play on the national team at a high level, they're going to be at that level regardless of, you know, whether whether they get a few extra attempts on, on their club team. I think if they're already playing. As a, if they're not playing as a starter in the Italian league, they're not going to start on the national team. And also, obviously, it sucks to see uh, some of the Canadian guys or American guys who are probably good enough to play over there. You know, especially from from the libero position, that's that's a tough situation for them. But don't really have the opportunity because of these kind of artificial constraints. So there's definitely arguments for both sides. But for me, the, especially when like in Italy, if you're trying to be the the NBA volleyball, the top league in the world. I personally would, would get rid of the uh, the limits. That's such a good example. The NBA, right? There's no foreigner limit there. They just want the best players in the NHL and things like that. Like that's that's a, such a good example where uh, I've seen it abused the other way where CHL fans, junior A hockey fans here in Canada, we would remember that uh, they scrapped foreign goalies for a few years there where the, the Finnish goalies were just pumping out too many players and they were taking spots and people were arguing they were taking away spots from Americans and Canadians, so they axed it. And then what happened is the level of the league actually went down because now the, you don't have as many quality goalies. And I think they've, they've reversed back. There might still be an import rule. Actually, for sure, there's an import rule, but uh, at least they allowed goalies back because it does affect the level of the league, right? Where I, I agree with your point where if you are doing this to support your national team, but if you're watering down the league, then maybe you're just you're not going to get the outcome you want either. Right. So there's definitely got to be a balance. And uh, I do want to pull on your latest point there because I just had an argument with a not an argument, a, gr- a heated discussion with one of our beach guys talking about um, Blair Ban is our libero on the national team. And now Jordan Pereira is the next guy up and Jordan Pereira for sure is the next guy up, but he's university age. So where did that window of liberos go that Blair's like the older guy and then he's ahead of Pereira, Louis, Abrams, like all these uh, Remy, like all these young guys. Do you think that has to do with the foreigner contract rule where it's really hard for a Canadian libero to get to a contract? So now like the Jeremy Davies and other friends of the show, they've they've started a family, they've gotten jobs, they've gotten married and they've they've stopped playing professional volleyball because they can't get into a good league. Yeah, for sure. No, 100 percent. I think it's it's more of an issue for liberos more than anything. I think Brian Duquette also like had mm-hmm. that issue. Eric Madsen, uh, who I think has been on the podcast, I forget. Um, but yeah, those kind of he might be a single digit good. guest. I think we've definitely had Eric, but I think he was a single digit. So fans should really go back into the archives and hear that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I remembered him. Um, but no, it's I mean it's tough because first of all, you're, it's hard to get a contract off the start, and also you're a libero, so you're making less money. So I can I can understand why those guys and you you see the same thing on the American side with the kind of Eric Shoji and Dustin Wadden taking up those two spots on the national team for 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 quite a while now and then you almost have no no, no liberos that are American playing professional 
Paolo D'Agostino is, I think, the only one last year. So, so it's it's a bit of a niche issue for uh, North Americans, but it's it, you know, I I would like to see a higher higher level of the barrel play in some of these leagues because it's often the yeah, position that gets ignored, and then you have these you know some of the lower level Polish and Russian liberos who to to me are are not as good as those Canadian and American guys. Which is funny. And shout out to Nathan Groenveld. He's the head coach of York. We've had this argument for a while where even in Canada with LTAD, like granted, maybe 14 news don't need liberos because that's like specializing and putting the little kid there. And then the big like gronks don't get to pass. But libero is a very technical position and there's a lot of responsibilities, but there's still like this weird vibe in volleyball where you can just put a left side there and you think they can get the job done, where there's a lot of stuff happening that you need those reps and you need that cue reading and you need to become really good at your role where it takes it away. So are, are you saying you're seeing that as a reflection of the foreigner rule sometimes where you'll put in like an older left side or you'll put in the local guy because nobody's going to burn a foreigner, a limited foreigner card on the libero position, right? So you see that position maybe being watered down in certain leagues? For sure, libero. I would say libero and then middle blocker after that are typically typically the kind of i guess the dumping positions where you're trying not to use your foreigner slots on those players 100 that's probably a money ball approach right where if we're going to pay this foreigner to come in we got to find a place to live we got to get them a visa we got to do this they, they better score 20 points a match is that kind of the money ball theory is the foreigner needs to be a points getter exactly it needs to be you know a wing opposite depending on uh depending on which league especially in women's volleyball for sure opposite is the most a sought after position man's maybe maybe outside hitter and then setter then middle blocker and then libero always the uh, always the last one forgotten left behind so yeah um definitely a money ball approach I, I understand why the clubs do it that way and i mean you still see the top liberos in the world guys like rabenikov and santiago danani they're still able to get a uh, pretty good living but once you get past that that top tier of liberos it's it's, it's rough out there wow this this is fascinating and then for your role, based on how volleyball leagues work, like I'm always amazed, again, just learning through this show, there's a few volleyball players who love the concept of betting on themselves. Like Becky Pavin loved the idea of a one-year contract because she's like, if I don't like it here, I want to leave. And if I do like it here, they'll want me back because I'm going to play well regardless, right? So you kind of have that attitude of these one-year contracts where we're not getting the NBA, NHL long-term deals at a time. So for you following this, how do you keep track of the transfer window and who's going to what league? Like, do you find the top players will stay in the same league and maybe switch clubs? Or are you keeping track of people like honestly going from Turkey to Poland to Italy to Russia? Like how, how as a fan do you keep track of all these transfers happening? Well, shout out to uh, Volleybox, the, uh, the website, because <laughs> I feel like if, if I didn't have that website, then uh, then it would be much more difficult to follow. So if anybody <laughs> watching, listening to this, Volleybox is one of the best resources to, uh, to get, a, get into this kind of stuff. But um, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, always following you know on instagram i always see news i've if a big news happens i have probably like 10 people messaging me about it saying oh did you see this did you see this um so yeah definitely the big transfers for me are quite easy to follow sometimes i, I miss a few smaller ones that fall through the cracks but yeah like you said with volleyball if you're a north american fan you're not used to having like you know every, like half the good players switching teams every single year for me, that sounds stressful as a player. I, I think I would want to stay in one place for a few years. And I think you're starting to see that a little bit more. But, uh, I mean, that's the way it's set up. It's such a mercenary sport that uh, players are just switching teams all the time. Teams tearing down rosters, rebuilding new sponsors. So it's still a bit of a wild west out there for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then just for our listeners who are big sports fans here, is it fair to say 
that none of these volleyball leagues have really a salary cap. Like there's a foreigner rule, but do you ever get caught up in like the the contracts so-and-so are getting? And like, I think in the NBA, it's so easy to follow because anytime somebody tries to make a trade, there's always like two or three throw-in players to balance out the money. But uh, in volleyball, is there ever a league that you feel has a salary limit or do you pay attention to the contracts? Like, oh, so-and-so is under a lot of pressure because they're getting paid this year. Like, is there anything like that? Or really you're just paying attention to the level of the league, the foreigner rule, and then just keeping track of where everybody's going every other year i mean a little bit not not as much because you're right when you're following north american sports that's kind of always part of the discussion part of the interest but i mean it's 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 so much more uh, fluid i guess for me uh european sports compared to north american sports but i think i think there is some interest because we're all kind of uh interested when volleyball players actually make significant money because it's not that common <laughs> for for volleyball players to actually get good contracts so when that happens like like okay it's an Kazan offered Leon two million euros, or or Boscovich is going to make a, a million euros in, in uh, at Chetsabatsi le- uh, next year. That kind of thing I feel like is interesting. But I mean, for the most part, teams' uh, salaries are dictated by that year's sponsors. So I would say I'd say the the top level, like in Italy, a top a top level budget is maybe a seven, eight, nine million euros, and then France will have like one and a half, two million. So they kind of have unofficial top level salary caps but there's nothing uh, written in stone wow and is that confirmed is leon making two million dollars uh no i i believe that was an offer from uh, one of the russian clubs oh, but okay. he's staying, staying in perugia but he uh, he's making a a good chunk of change over there uh, over there in italy nothing to complain about i would say oh and, and with your impression from the media side i don't know if you've ever heard uh read pretty speak he's been on coach your brains out a couple times and he mentioned what he didn't like about pro volleyball sometimes is uh, when he played, um, he was in Russia. What was the top club in Russia? Uh, the, like the version of the Yankees. Kazan. Yeah, Kazan. So he was saying the owner almost treats them almost like a video game where I bought you, you're Damanili, you're this good. So I bought you with these stats. Now you have to go be that player. You're not allowed to have an off day. You're not allowed to have like these little dives into the valley. Like you need to be at peak performance every day. Do, do you see any crazy clubs or crazy owners or coaches thinking that way where we, we have all the top players and like they're, like I said they're not allowed to have a slump they're not allowed to have a bad day like it's it's perform or go home if you're with this club yeah I would say there's definitely more of that culture of of you know performance or or nothing I mean you saw a good example of it this year with two of the top clubs in Italy um Chivitanova and Perugia both firing their coaches in the playoffs like during the playoffs oh my gosh um, <laughs> so which is something you, you would never you would never happen in uh, in north american sports um so but it's just a kind of example of you know what what have you done for me lately if you're not good enough then 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 see you you know we don't need you um maybe a little less with the players and i think we're starting to see a, a little bit more stability and a little more bit more long-term focus for example the champions league winners this year uh zaksa kajush and Kojle, you know they had the same team probably for for about three three to four years there so they're an example of the stability being more successful but then this year they're, they're completely changing the team even even though they won the champions league so kind of kind of interesting stuff like that that you have to get used to following european sports compared to the north american variety 
Definitely. And, and it might be harder to follow a, as just a general fan, but with your depth of knowledge, I'm, I'm just curious and a little bit biased. Like if, if I wasn't, you know, married, maybe I'd be asking you to set me up with an agent and I could go coach in Europe. I think that'd be a great experience. But uh, <laughs> how important is the role of the coach? Because again, my, my only knowledge is this show. And sometimes people have said the coach is awesome and you feel like you get better. And then there's been other players who say like, I didn't get better. Your job there is to be fresh on game day. They don't develop you. They don't coach you up. Sometimes the coach doesn't even know what they're doing. Like they're just like a, a local guy almost who's just been with the club for a while so th- there seems to be a balance of like there's coaches who are all about development and pushing but because sometimes the contracts are one year at a time it's not my job to develop you it's my job to make sure we either get promoted if we're in the second division or have improved we don't get relegated right so how how important are coaches in some of these leagues do you see some top tier coaches that you're like oh they're going to be in a big league soon because they're really coaching their squad up and they're they're good or do you see some coaches who are almost dead weight but because they buy good foreigners their their club does well um you know i'm, I'm a bit biased here josh and i apologize I'm, i know a lot of your uh, your listeners are probably coaches here but um you know i I've mainly focused on the players in that aspect of it. I would say I've definitely talked to some really amazing coaches over the years. We had some conversations with uh, Giovanni uh, Guidetti, who's the coach in Vacuum Bank. He's, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to. Talk to Mark Levadeau. I've talked to uh, uh, a lot of guys over the years, Nikola Gerbich, uh coaching as well. So I've had the opportunity to talk to some great coaches, and I think the great ones can really make a difference uh, with the club and those coaches who have who've been there with the f- for a few years and are able to develop those players. but um, I can't really speak too much on the experiences of kind of, you know, maybe the German or French uh, league coaches or it's kind of those maybe uh, second or third tier leagues because I'm not quite as familiar. And for me, there's such a revolving door of coaches in some of these leagues that I, I can't uh, I can't imagine that a lot of them have have a long term game plan in mind. because there's <laughs> Not as much job security for a lot of them, to be honest. So that's yeah. tough. It's tough for the coaches as well. Definitely, definitely. So just switching gears here a little bit, uh, Olympic qualification kind of got paused there by the whole COVID thing, but we're, we're a volleyball show. We're not going to talk too much about COVID, but uh, how exciting was it for you to watch national team qualification? Because here in Canada, like that Cuba match, if that wasn't the most watched match this year, I don't know what is because that was fantastic. And I think BC did a great job hosting it. But uh, I think that qualification was nuts. But we're in Norseka. And with, whenever the U.S. men qualify through like the front door, it, it kind of makes the Norseka qualifier Canada versus Cuba where trying to pay attention to some of the CEV stuff. What a deep conference. Like even on the beach side, I was looking at it, it like you guys have three divisions and it's all just this huge fight to get out of it, to get to the main one coming up in the Hague. Like on the indoor side, it's got to be just as crazy. So if a team doesn't qualify through like world championships or other major events, how hard is it to get out of some of these zones that they're playing in? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to see. The, I mean, if you're, if you're just looking in terms of, you know, you're a volleyball fan, a fan of good volleyball. I love Norseka, but I think the CV is the is the by far the most uh, the most competitive uh, zone on the indoor side. And you saw, I mean, you saw us, I was there when uh, Turkey, the women's Turkish team qualified to the Olympics, which was really cool. But they're playing teams like Poland. They're playing teams like Germany. They're playing uh, like all these really strong teams, the Netherlands, who were playing at home. So <laughs> that those are the teams they had to beat in their own domestic qualification. It's not it's not a Norseka where, you, you know, you just have to beat Cuba or, or Canada uh, to get through. You have to, you know, beat three or four really good teams and same for the men who are playing Germany versus France in the finals. Slovenia didn't make the Olympics. Serbia on the men's side, which is, pro- is probably the biggest Olympic snub this year, didn't make the Olympics either just because it's, it's so difficult. They're only one of those teams can go through. So 
putting you on the spot here we didn't talk about this before the show so listeners you're getting this raw here but uh can you just share the allotment of, of spots and what i mean by that is my understanding is there's five continental zones right so every continental zone gets a rep but then there's other qualification methods and then there's obviously the host bid but for for indoor volleyball right now at the olympics can you just take us through how you get in yeah so i mean all the spots are already locked up uh there's no more spots uh, for the olympics but essentially yeah there's the host japan and then you had the five zonal tournaments so one country from each continent goes through and then we also had um the five last spots were determined by these Olympic qualification tournaments that happened in summer of 2019, if you remember those, where it was a pool of four teams and just the the number one team from each pool got through. So I think that that covers all 12 spots. And it was the same format for both leagues. Yeah, five tournaments, five zones. Amazing. And who... Post. (laughs) I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. (laughs) Do you remember who knocked out Serbia? Who was in their pool of death that they didn't get through? Uh, it was Italy, I think, was was the one that that uh, that knocked them out. So oh. Italy qualified from their pool. Now remember, Serbia also struggled. They, they, they were not playing their best volleyball. They struggled against Italy. They had Australia in that pool as well. But but Italy was the one who who got through. And I'm and I'm sure other countries feel this, but I thought it was amazing just talking to some of the the men getting ready for BC. Getting released from your club isn't always that easy. Guys are coming at different times. Guys are coming at different work rates where. We just mentioned how unstable some of these coaching gigs are. If Stephen Marr comes at you and says, hey, I have a Norseka qualifier in two weeks. Can we taper me? No, you're starting and we're going to give you 30 out of system attempts and you better take care of it, right? So with some of these European leagues, is that ever a battle to support the national team versus the club? Or does the club always come first because they're the ones in season and and this Olympic qualifying gets scheduled in like pockets in the off season, right? Yeah, it's a... It- it's a little better for uh, in the European system. I mean, I would say it's still a battle. I mean, probably probably still a very similar battle than the one that Canadian guys have to face. It's a little, you know, less intense because they don't have to fly, you know, eight hours each direction and and, and do all that stuff. So they can fly in, fly out, basically uh, right away. And also, you also have a lot of the, uh, I guess, everyone knows each other here. I would say a little bit more. Uh, than maybe cross-continent with Canada versus the clubs. But uh, yeah, that's always a battle. And, and I think it's, you know, it's it's tough to to fit all the national team and the club stuff together. It's hard enough to follow as a fan. So I can't imagine for the players having to deal with all this, all the politics of, of balancing the two, plus just the physical exhaustion is, is, is a big thing as well. Definitely, definitely. And to me, your expertise is the indoor game. But I know I I don't want to put you in a box here and say that's all you do because you do cover a lot of beach. And one event that I'm always fascinated about, and again, just by doing the show, you talk to so many amazing people. When I interviewed the Estonian guys, um, they were explaining to me that the CEV is actually really tough. And I think a lot of casual fans don't understand that where as North Americans, like the Olympics are good, but because of the continental spots and everything, like it's not as tough as say a world championship where you get like four teams from every country. But then uh, Novak and Tisa were explaining to me, a CEV is basically like world championships because you have teams from all these stacked countries, but then you're not mixing in like a couple lower level Norseka teams or maybe some African nations where even their continental tour is like the top teams in the world minus Brazil, US. USA and Canada and Australia actually I should throw them in as well but just hearing about how tough these are when you're at an event like that how is the feeling like every match has to be meaningful at like a a European championship on the beach right yeah I mean uh last year I I had the opportunity to actually go to uh, the European beach championships in Latvia 
and starting from like pre-quarters, I would say that's when like that's when good teams were starting to get eliminated. That's when uh, that's when the intensity really started, and you had some crazy matchups even even fairly early on in the tournament. Which yeah, I feel like you wouldn't see necessarily at every tournament, especially on the men's side or in Europe, where you have so many really top teams. Take me back to that event. Was that not the event that got rained out on the first day? <laughs> yes, it. Uh, not the first day. I think it was the third day. And I, I, I can share that story later because that, that I think is fun. <laughs> Cliffhanger. I love I, it. Good story. It. for Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So the other thing that really attracts me to the CEV Beach stuff is, is, again, just talking to different players is their sponsors really care about the CEV because it's just the eyes of the right people on it where say you're sponsored by some Latvian bank. I don't think they care how you do in the Iptipima four-star in Brazil because those aren't going to be your consumers, right? So they really care about the result at the CEV. So when you mentioned like matches are getting tough in the pre-quarters, like did you get that sense that every match was meaningful and like even quarterfinals and semifinals, like teams are going for it because this is their chance to one, earn points and earn prize money. But like this is their chance to say like, if you're one of the best teams in Europe, then you are going to, you know, have these other sources of income where you can find more sponsors and do things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's a really important tournament for a lot of them. And you could tell like the focus was hundred percent there uh, at the championships and, and every team was locked in and you had, yeah, like I said earlier, you had good teams uh, losing pretty early on. Like I know uh, Tolia Vickler didn't have the best uh, tournament there, but I mean, if you go back and look at their opponents, it's a, uh, it's just really good teams all the all the way through, and um, Maggie Kozic and Laura Ludwig also losing, I think, in the quarterfinals there, and they had really high expectations for themselves that tournament. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's important. I mean, the European Beach Championships, I would say, other than um, you know, other than some of the big World Tour events in the Olympics, probably in it's it's these guys. Awesome, awesome, man. Well, and. Uh, just to connect our, our listeners, you are running five one, which is like you're the founder of it. But uh, how did the CV opportunity come together? Like the, this is amazing that uh, a kid from Upper Canada College is now the digital content creator for the CV division. Uh, I'm curious, were they paying attention to all the great content you were putting out? Did you find this job on LinkedIn and you applied for it? Like how did how did you end up in Luxembourg working full time talking about volleyball? <laughs> Yes, I mean it's it's. I wouldn't recommend anyone try and replicate the path because I I do acknowledge I got pretty lucky along the way. <laughs> um, but basically, I, I uh, started working for the CV as kind of a you know a writer external person. Just uh, and it actually worked out working from Canada because it was easier to cover some of the difference in time zones and just you know doing some writing, some light social media stuff. And then you know I saw they had an opening, I applied to it, and here we are <laughs> in Luxembourg. Eighteen months later is. Uh, living here full time and and doing volleyball very much full time, <laughs> so that's uh that's pretty cool to you know ha- have this started a couple of years ago and then and then you know have some really cool opportunities I, I would say pretty early on and and really be able to be immersed in the world of uh, professional volleyball and you know being the only uh, the first non European to uh, to be here as well is, is pretty cool. Now we already touched that you've been to CEV Beach, you've been to some other events, but. Um, does your job demand that you get to go on site and you're watching this live or even just as a super fan, like, are, are you finding yourself like just figuring out which club is close and you're going to try to watch like a live game when you can, like, what, what, what is the experience? And then I, I think as a Canadian over there, I'd be trying to watch as much live as I can. So what are those opportunities like for you? Well, it was too bad because that was, that was, uh, the plan was to go visit some of these other cities and watch, but unfortunately, uh, this year that wasn't really in the cards, um, which was too bad, but. 
but uh, still, I've gone to go watch uh, Eurovolley, watch Serbia win that, uh, Euro Beach Volley in person. Uh, I just got to go to the Super Finals in Verona, with, uh, as I said, with uh, Keneliano and Zaksa Kajushin Kojle winning. I mean, going to these events as a, as a working person, uh, it's, it's, it's quite intense. Uh, it's not always. Sometimes you, you go to, to go to an event and you're like, oh, uh, actually, I don't even barely even know who won the event because I was so <laughs> I was so busy uh, doing other stuff. But but it's, it's really cool to be in that, you know, top level volleyball atmosphere. And I, I encourage anyone listening, if they have an opportunity to go to like these really top level uh, international or, or European events, I would for sure try and go for it because it is such a cool experience, such an interesting thing happening having so many people take volleyball so seriously it's, it's something i love because you know trying to get people to take volleyball seriously sometimes in canada is not always the easiest thing over here definitely not an issue yeah that that serious point just reminds me when i do get to go on tour and i'm just kind of around i'm always amazed like for some reason i have an impression of what like a high level player is in my head but when you're training with other teams leading into the event, like Cantor Loziak and their coaches were like the nicest people, Herrera, Gravira. I'm trying to think of who else we got to train with, but uh, I'm always amazed by some of these countries that they flip the switch that like Cantor Loziak would talk to you on the training day. But as soon as the tournament started, they were not talking to anybody. They're not eating dinner with anybody else. So uh, I'm curious, do you get that sense from indoor as well? Uh, just with the behind the scenes view you have, like because people are playing all over the world and they might have a friend on another national team or they played club with so-and-so, like are they friendly on like a rival day and then they flip the switch and it's like all in and it's an absolute fight once the competition starts? Yeah, I would say so. I would say they're they're a lot more relaxed when they don't have to play that day. And that, I think that goes for indoor and beach for, for all the athletes. Um, I would say, yeah, it, it depends. You see uh, different players hanging out with different people, I would say. Uh, probably it's a little more communal on the beach where you're not, you know, you don't have your automatically, you have your club or team to hang out with because in indoor, usually you would just hang out with those guys. That seems like on the beach, they, there's a bit more mixing, but, but yeah, as soon as game day comes around, uh, you really have to organize and schedule any, any media stuff you, you want to do with players because they are, they, their focus is a hundred percent on the match. Nice. And I imagine at that level, you're going through a team manager, right? So do you get to meet like the, the right people to talk to every once in a while, just so you know? Because I, I imagine you're not the sideline guy walking up to somebody coming off the court, be like, hey, that was a great performance, right? Like this has to be above board and super classy. So are you making contacts as you go and just talking to the right people to get these hookups? Yeah, usually, yeah, usually you would go through uh, the team manager or team media officer. But I mean, I ha Josh, I have done a few uh, few post game interviews. I'm actually done done most of them. I would say for the uh, for the CV the past uh, year or so. So that's that's always a fun one. Uh, trying to pick out a player out of the crowd and and getting them uh, getting them for an interview because uh, not not always the easiest thing to do in a live TV scenario. You definitely need a gimmick. I feel like hockey players want that. Uh hockey night in canada towel so you need to be like a little bit of a prize where like they know they've made it when they get the sideline interview from you and like you probably have a wicked blazer <laughs> and stuff like you need to get that level of gimmick i think yeah, that's a good idea josh I'll, I'll try and think of something for that if you if any listeners have any ideas i'm, I'm all uh, <laughs> i'm all ears we need to somehow just get into the reddit community and start building this reputation that if you haven't been a guest on five one or passing dines podcast yet you're just not a big shooter and then like leon and some other players they'll start like calling us and we can stop chasing people for interviews right exactly then we'll we'll have all the interviews that we can uh, that we can handle 
Well, well, man, this has been awesome, but I feel like it would be a missed opportunity if I just didn't talk about volleyball media with you, because I'm sure there's some listeners who hear this show every once in a while and it's like, this is a joke. I could totally do this. And the answer is yes, you could. The more volleyball content we have out there, the better. Like, I don't feel like I'm really competing with anybody. I just like the the more content, the better. So with, with you starting out, like, I'll, I'll just share when, when Dallas and I started the show, I was like, dude, we just need to have consistent quality content. Like, I don't want to be the guy who posts stuff around the Olympics and then disappears for six weeks. Because I think as if you're trying to gain followers or, or get like an audience they deserve that they know every Friday like an episode's going to come out and it's going to be pretty good, right? So w- with your goal with 5-1, did you have any mini goals or any pillars that you decided like if I'm going to do this, like these are the must-haves I'm going to have when I build my brand? Um, I would say not really. I would say the one thing I always try and focus on is not not to kind of take any shortcuts, not to, you know, to try and do any spam, not to try and do any gimmicks or try and do any... Uh, shortcuts just to really yeah like you said just focus on the quality uh make sure i know always know what i'm talking about have that consistency and you know hopefully that people appreciate that and and things will grow Um, because i think yeah just having having the quality i think for me is the most important it's been tough at times uh because you know (laughs) so much is going on uh you know uh, outside of 5-1 as well but but i think i've been been able to learn a lot from doing the channel grow a lot hopefully People think it's improved over the years as well, and uh, you know, big things still it's still in store for Five One. I would say that's awesome. I'm so glad you haven't like lowered your standards to like the clickbait thing, where some of your articles are just like, exactly. oh, ten things you won't believe about the uh, Polish national team or something like that, right? Like keep it keep it above board, keep it interesting, educational. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, exactly. You know, just really, and, and also with Five One, I, I try and focus on things that I I enjoy. So maybe there's something some thing of volleyball that uh, other people are liking but for me the only way to to really create quality content for me is to to do something that i i I enjoy making and and enjoy watching so if someday i I stop liking watching whatever 15 hours of volleyball a week probably do something else but until that day keep on uh keep on doing what i like doing That's awesome, man. And then just one follow up to what you mentioned earlier, because as a stats guy, I kind of like to understand tactically what's going on and pay attention to that. So if it's not too personal, would you mind just sharing where you get some of that data? Or are you honestly like pen and papering it or, or figuring it out on your own about like, who is the points leader in this? Like, is there a way for fans to find box scores or, or really dive into the number stuff? Because I think, I think the stats is what kind of makes it interesting. Like whenever you argue who's the the top, I don't know, MLB player, it usually comes down to stats, right? And I think volleyball fans, we have access getting that, or excuse me, we have trouble getting access to that sometimes. So maybe just what are, what are some of your tricks to find access to some things that turn people from a casual fan into like a super fan? For sure. Yeah. I would say the the stats and, Figuring out how and where to watch the, the streams is probably the two, I would say, the most important parts of following the leagues. For me, I just have a Google Chrome tab with, with uh, all the different bot, like stats for each, uh, for, each of the big, for each of the big leagues. I mean, most of them use data volley, so it's, it's mostly the same, same format, same stats. Um, I, have, I have an article, actually, maybe, if anyone's interested, you can contact me directly, or I have an article that, that kind of goes over where you can, the links to where you can find all of these. And same thing with, with uh, where to watch games. For me, it's a little easier now because I'm so used to, to figuring out where to find all this information. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there's no like basketball reference. There's no one big database that has um, the stats from every league combined into one 
nice spreadsheet, that would be amazing. If anyone wants to invent that, I think it would be fantastic, but that's not really my, uh, unfortunately coding is not really my area of expertise. So <laughs> until then we're stuck with, uh, with the mashup. Mine either. Might have to get Chris Elk on this or something, but <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's somebody in the community who could find it out, but that's awesome, man. So people have to follow you. It's five, one volleyball. It is, uh, your, your actual tag is spelled out, right? It's not like the number five and the number one. It's actually F I V E O N E volleyball. You're awesome on Instagram. I, I love your caption here. I totally think this is confirmed. Passing times is confirming this. You are providing the best English pro volleyball coverage on the internet. Totally agreed. Stamp of approval. Doing a great job. So hopefully our dozens and dozens of listeners start following you and you get a little bit of a boost. But uh, you're a big shooter, but we've we've asked everyone to do this who's been on the show so far. Volleyball is amazing and often hilarious. There had to be something odd or funny happened to you along the way that you can just give us a quick laugh before we let you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a decent number of things. But like we said earlier, probably the most interesting uh, scenario so far was waking up, uh, I think, the third morning in Yormala in Latvia for the European Beach Championships and just having, like, the strongest winds that you've ever seen in your entire life, almost a hurricane uh, going through our nice little Latvian beach. Uh, everyone's kind of, you know, walking downstairs, kind of looking around and like, can we play in this? Like, should, should we try it? Uh, me and uh, Louis Lett, who is the uh, does a lot of the beach volleyball commentary for the FFVB um, and CV, we, we went outside just to kind of like test it out uh, and try and pepper. And I think we tossed the ball up in the air, and it was immediately, you know, 20, 30 meters in the opposite direction. So, yeah, we basically had to uh, call a meeting to say that we couldn't play to get play that day. And that night, the uh, entire stadium that was built on the beach got completely destroyed by the storm and the uh the organizers had to call in basically send a message out to the to the latvian volleyball community literally like on facebook and whatsapp and everything and also call in parts of the uh the national guard as well to come rebuild the stadium overnight because we needed somewhere to play um <laughs> so we ended up finding another beach volleyball facility just to play i think this is the pre-quarters day play the next day while all these people were rebuilding the stadium like through the night like pretty much 36 hours straight working day and night to rebuild the stadium. And then uh, the last day of the tournament, we were able to go back onto the beach, have the stadium completely rebuilt, looking nice and watch the beach volleyball Vikings win their, uh, their third consecutive European championship. So that was, that was probably the craziest, most interesting volleyball experience. Cause it was really just a three days of, of cr- complete madness, trying to uh, scramble and, and figure out the logistics, all this, I wasn't even the person most in charge of it, but but I think there are people were really celebrating after that one, being able to pull that off. That's nuts. I knew it happened because obviously Plavins was putting stuff on Instagram and I was seeing it and I saw like extra courts be built so you could play that round because like you can tell just watching on Volumetrics, like the venue changed. I didn't realize that it was yeah. driven a lot by volunteers and just awesome people being like, hey, we need to make this event happen. If anyone is available and can pick up like a hammer or a screwdriver to put the stadium back together, you can come show up and help out. I didn't realize it was that level of community that made it happen. No, it was, it was through the night. People were like, message anyone you know to come who's like a big, strong guy to come help, uh, you know, move timber and, uh, and operate anyone who can operate machinery, anyone who can uh, just any hands that can help all hands on deck. Let's, uh, let's get this thing fixed. So shout out to the Latvians because that was very impressive. 
That's amazing. That is so amazing. Yeah, see, this is why we have volleyball shows. We can get these messages out. Your interview was awesome, but to finish up with this, this is awesome. I'm just fired up for just my faith in the volleyball community right now. I believe that would happen in every country who loves volleyball, right? Yes, for sure. If, if Woodbine Beach uh, got demolished overnight, then uh, the Canadian, the Torontonians would for sure come up, come out of the woodworks to build as well. For sure. And Kids Beach would too. The limited interaction I've had with like those guys. Yeah, for sure. This is awesome. Awesome. Great behind the scenes story. I, I knew it happened, but I didn't know it happened that way. So once again, Dan Manili from 5-1 Volleyball. Thanks so much, man. It's so funny that two volleyball fans we never had these conversations at ucc and then to see what you've you know launched into this this is great i never would have guessed it but now looking back the the signs were there you were definitely the guy to do it and, and i'm glad i got to meet you before you were famous so now i can call you up to get you on our show and, and it's just great to support a guy who's done so much and you're going to keep doing so much great stuff so thanks for taking the time and once again thanks for making that time zone work because uh no you're a busy guy it's peak season right now for volleyball with vnl and we just have uh ostrava finishing up today as we record this and there's a olympics coming up and just so much going on that you could spare an hour for us so thanks so much man yeah thanks so much for having me josh yeah i'm not sure if there's ever really a, a dry season of volleyball it's a, the one the good thing about being a content creator in volleyball is just there's always something to talk about but yeah no i enjoy passing dimes so much and uh yeah i have to i have to give you a little bit of a, of a contribution for for where i am now because definitely a coach that that inspired me at the beginning of my beginnings in the sport so want to thank you for that and thanks for having me on Oh, thanks so much, man. I can't take any credit. I was just kind of there. But like I said, it was good to meet you before your your career took off. And so many guys like this, but uh, love the UCC community, love the club community in Toronto. And just, yeah, keep branching out because there's so many great people in our sport. But uh, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for being the, the place to be to find the, the best indoor. And, and I'm sure you love the beach game, too. We're going to start seeing some more beach stuff pop up. But uh, thanks for all that you do. And thanks for joining us today. All right. Cheers, Josh. Thanks.